Hey everyone, Mark Olson here. I write biblical thrillers and stories, so I've been geeking out on Israel's past and present for years. Because of that, I've been asked to share some thoughts on what's happening there right now. And I thought I'd start, like many writers who are um, sharing a huge complicated story, by just introducing its main characters and backstory. I thought maybe this could help my friends who were genuinely swimming in the whole subject. And this is one of the most complicated, bewildering stories in human history. So confusion is totally understandable. There are so many antagonists, so many bad guys aligned against our protagonists that it's hard to keep them straight. So I'm just going to go question by question. First of all, who is Hamas? Besides, obviously, being the group that butchered a thousand Israeli men, women, and children, sick and elderly, on October 7th, and fired 5,000 rockets on southern Israel. Hamas is a 36-year-old terrorist group that's one of many in the jihadist movement, fighting right now to conquer the planet and slaughter all of us infidels and put the world under Sharia or Islamic law. There's other jihadist groups, by the way, um, well-known names like Fatah, Hezbollah, ISIS, Islamic Jihad, Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, and the Taliban. But Hamas's charter opens with the words, quote, Israel will continue to exist until Islam obliterates it, close quote. And as we saw on the 7th, it's even worse than that. They are out to terrorize torture, and kill every Jew they can get their hands on. Hamas is based in, and it's actually the elected governing body of, a specific part of Arab-controlled Israel called the Gaza Strip. And that's why Israel is invading Gaza. Israel's operational goal is to destroy Hamas completely, and it has no choice. Next question, what is Gaza? What's the Gaza Strip? So it's a piece of land along Israel's southern coast, 25 miles long, 6 miles wide, about as big as Dublin with four times the people, around 2 million. Israel does not occupy Gaza. In fact, it actually withdrew from Gaza completely in 2007 and gave its Arab population complete freedom to build a livable society there. But a Hamas leader once told the world, Quote, we are going to win because the Jews love life and we love death, quote, and they've proven it in Gaza. Even before this latest war, Gaza City, the Strip's capital, was a grim, horrible place to live, even though Israel freely gave it water, electricity, telecommunications, and other utilities. Think about this. The news media... And Israel's enemies around the world are complaining that Israel has cut off these utilities and told residents to leave, as though that's something cruel. But Israel didn't cut off utilities that Gaza had built for themselves. It just stopped its years of unbelievable generosity. How many countries would offer decades of free utilities to a country that's dedicated to its destruction? And how many countries give days of fair warning to citizens of an enemy state that tried to annihilate them and is about to be invaded in a war of self-defense? Next question. What is the West Bank? The so-called West Bank, known to Israelis as Judea and Samaria, 
is a huge chunk of the heart of Israel that was also set aside for Palestinian Arabs as early as the 1920s. It stretches from the western bank of the Jordan River and the Dead Sea, even further west, across the heart of the land of Israel. you got to realize, Israel had agreed to let the West Bank be a Palestinian state, part of a two-state solution, all the way back in 1947, when the United Nations ratified the original partition plan. If Arabs had agreed to the plan, this would have become theirs for good. However, they not only rejected the partition, but they joined five surrounding nations in attacking, invading, and trying to destroy Israel in what would become its war of independence. As a result of Israel's miraculous victory in that war, the West Bank came actually under control of Jordan. Then, when Arabs launched their third surprise attack against Israel in 1967, what would be called the Six-Day War, God again gave Israel victory, along with control over the West Bank, as well as the heart of Jerusalem and Gaza. Today, Israel, the UN, and other powers are still fighting over the status of the West Bank, which is now divided into three zones with different levels of military and civil control divided between Palestinians and Israel. And then since the 1993 Oslo Peace Accords, the government that's now known as the Palestinian Authority, some people call the State of Palestine, has been headquartered in the West Bank city of Ramallah and governed by the terrorist group Fatah. The authority slash state also counts Gaza as part of its nation, although Gaza is governed, as we said before, by Hamas. Is that confusing enough for you? Hey, that's the short version. All right, another question. Who is Hezbollah? Hezbollah is a Shiite terror group that's headquartered in Lebanon across the northern border of Israel. So now you realize Gaza is down south and the West Bank is to the west and Hezbollah is to the north. So now you see how this tiny strip of land known as the nation of Israel is completely surrounded by its mortal enemies. Although this whole war against Israel is being financed actually far away by Iran, Iran is closest to Hezbollah because they're both Shiite, and it's funneled as many as 150,000 rockets to this border, all of them aimed into the heart of Israel. Hezbollah doesn't have political control of its own land, but it has basically taken over much of southern Lebanon, and it's headquartered in the city of Baalbek, which happens to be one of the most occult-drenched, pagan, temple-riddled cities on earth. So, as I speak to you today, Hezbollah has not invaded Israeli territory the way Hamas has, but there's rocket attacks and skirmishes, and the world is watching with bated breath. In fact, by the time you read this, this whole situation may be completely different. So, next question, who's Iran? Well, we know who Iran is. They're a large fundamentalist Islamic nation. They're the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism, and they're also a budding nuclear power. It's also the largest nation on earth to openly vow that it will use any means necessary to wipe Israel and its people from the face of the earth. This threat is even more grave 
because Iran is currently enriching uranium. And many reports have it within days or weeks of actually producing nuclear weapons. This makes a preemptive strike by Israel against Iran very likely, something observers have predicted for years, and in this war seems, again, highly likely. And then, of course, we've got Putin and Russia, as well as China, who officially support Iran, which makes the situation truly a powder keg for world war. So, how did we get here? Well, you can't answer that without addressing another question. Is Israel really an occupying force that kicked Palestinians out of their ancestral homeland and keeps them confined in refugee camps and prison-like urban areas like Gaza City? Well, you wouldn't expect the decapitators of babies and slaughterers of children in front of their parents to be truth-tellers. So... That's my answer in a nutshell, but we'll actually answer it more fully with some more questions. So, first of all, is the land of Israel actually a Palestinian homeland? Not even close. There has never been an Arab homeland in Israel or a native or indigenous Arab culture unique to the area or any Palestinian nation based in the land of Israel. In fact, Palestinian is not even the name of an actual ethnic group. The word Palestinian wasn't used to describe Arab people living in the area until 1967. Before that, it was actually a word used to describe the Jews. Arabs in the land of Israel were a scattering of of wandering Arab Bedouins and shepherds who roughly identified with Syria or Lebanon and never expressed a shred of national identity or interest in claiming ownership over this land. When the Zionist movement started in the 19th century, started by evangelicals who wanted to give uh, the Jewish people their homeland back, Jews started to, to come back in greater numbers, and local Arab leaders actually welcomed them back, even as they welcomed more Arabs back into the area who were drawn by the Jewish success in reclaiming the land and creating economic opportunity. So, whose homeland is it, actually? Well, I'll I'll give you a hint. In the entire history of the region, dozens of nations and cultures have occupied and annexed that territory, but only one ethnic group has ever made it their homeland with an actual nation on the site, and that, of course, is the Jewish people. Their nation was destroyed and their people were exiled in the year 70, but they never gave up their claim to the land, which has always, for the last 2,000 years, been known as the Jewish homeland. The Jews never established another homeland, and for 2,000 years, they were treated as foreigners everywhere they lived. Actually, Jewish people never left Palestine. There have always been Jewish people in the Holy Land, and especially in Jerusalem. From the late 19th century on, the the Jewish people actually were a majority of the population of Jerusalem. So next question, what actually happened in 47? Did the Jews actually flood the land and kick out everyone else who lived there? Again, not even close. When the United Nations ratified the partition, which separated Palestine into the territories that we have today, Israel didn't like it, but they were so desperate for peace after the Holocaust that they accepted it anyway. 
But Palestinian Arabs, on the other hand, were led by a fanatical anti-Semite named Haj Amin al-Husseini, officially known as the Mufti of Jerusalem, and he rejected the partition completely and led the surrounding nations in doing the same. And then as all those countries in the region got ready to attack Israel and wipe it off the face of the earth, the Mufti put out a call to all local Arab residents to leave the area for a few weeks and give the conquering armies time to do their work and clean up the mess and reject any of Israel's calls for peace. As a matter of fact, Jewish leaders were actually imploring local Arabs in many cases not to leave as they filed out of the country. And as so often happens, the Arab population was failed by their leaders. As the war raged, I'm certainly willing to believe there were some expulsions and destruction of Arab property. But you have to remember, this was a war of annihilation. And most of the anti-Israeli invaders didn't wear uniforms. Um, The invading armies were helped by local sympathizers. So when Israel defeated the five armies sworn to annihilate them, it did not let the departed Arabs back which is tragic, but it only makes sense. Letting 700,000 haters of your country who had rejected peace and cheered for your destruction back into a vulnerable new nation would have been suicide. So those 700,000 people did, sadly, become refugees and they lost everything. But it was because of their people's choice. They chose to reject peace and embrace hatred And they've done it again four major times, additional times, in the 75 years since. Times when Israel offered land for peace, a two-state solution, diplomatic recognition of a Palestinian state, so on and so on. And every time, Israel's been met with rejection and a renewal of terroristic violence every single time. By the way, most people don't know that during the same period, A far greater number of Jews, over 800,000, were expelled from Muslim countries and came to Israel as refugees. The difference? They didn't start the war that led to their departure, and they were received with open arms by the country to which they emigrated. So no one talks about them. So next question, what's happened since 48? Well, Palestinian Arabs have had 75 years and untold billions in foreign aid to build a free Palestinian state. Instead, their leaders have trashed the infrastructure of the places they've inhabited, especially Gaza. They've neglected education and human rights, and they've spent the funds lavished on them by the world on buying weapons to kill Jews. Meanwhile, the Jews, who were given the worst part of the land of Israel, the swamp and the desert, worked tirelessly, to turn it into one of the world's richest agricultural regions. In the process, inventing world-changing technologies like advances in irrigation, desalinization, horticultural developments like the development of uh, fruits and vegetables that could actually use salt water and still taste sweet. This success only fueled the hatred and the bloodthirst of their enemies. And this led to the eruption of horrific violence on October 7th, butchery and savagery that I would call animalistic, except that would be an insult to animals. So I'm considering a, a second installment of this in which I'm actually 
going to dig deeper into the Bible and find an explanation for how human beings could possibly act this way and how the origins of this behavior may not, in fact, be human at all. I hope this helps in some way, and I wish you shalom, and I wish you the peace of God that passes all understanding.